Good morning. Oh, come on, that was weak. Good morning. <laughs> yes, will you stand this morning and let's sing together? John 3:16 in song form. God so loved. Yeah. 
right, let's give the Lord a hand. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Okay, I brought a cute kid with me this morning, so this means instant smiles for everyone, all right? Everyone say hi. Hi, guys. Say hi. Say good morning. No. All right. Man, it's so good to see everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, welcome back to Kavanaugh Church. We're so thankful that you've made it back and coming to the Lord's house to be able to worship and grow and have fellowship with each other. It's so good to have you. We've been praying for you all week, and we know that God truly has something and special for us today, all right? Um, I want to just welcome our first-time guest today. Thank you so much for being here. We love our church, and we love our church family, and we love everything that goes on here. And we have a lot going on here, and we want to make sure that you know all about it. So, in the chair back in front of you, there's a little Connect card. Um, I say this every week, but uh, we got to make sure that you know. Uh, there's a little chair, uh, there's a Connect card in the chair back in front, uh, in front of you. We want you to fill that out, and then right after service, take it out these back doors, um, and me and a couple other people will be there to be able to answer all your questions, um, how you can connect uh, throughout the week in our classes, uh, from our C groups to our Wednesday night schedule and everything. We would just want to make sure that you guys get plugged in and we get to know your family, okay? But we love you, and again, we are so thankful that you're here. And I'm going to invite you all to stand up right now. We're going to ask God's blessing on our services today. All right? Let's pray. Lord, we love you again. Thank you so much for bringing us back into this place, God. Um, we know that you have called us all into this place today. It's meant for every single one of us to hear the word that's preached today, God. Lord, I, we pray that our hearts are touched and that uh, your gospel is heard and that um, we, we repent of our sins and we come um, we become the people that you want us to be, God, because there is a lost world out there that, that desperately needs to hear you, God. We've got to make sure that we ourselves are in check so that we can be effective, God, because we want to see people changed and lives renewed, God. So create in us a clean heart, God, and allow us to be, be able to come, become the people that you want us to be. Bless the rest of our services and our pastor as he brings the message today. In your name, amen. Fellowship with one another for a few seconds, and we'll go from there.
is beautiful. I thank you for your presence that we feel here this morning, your powerful presence, your beautiful presence, your wonderful presence. You are everything we need, Father God. We only need to turn to you and receive, and you will give freely. Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that they would know today, that they would know you're real. And all they have to do is ask, and you will come into their heart and be their Savior and Lord and show them your power and your wonder and your beauty. Father, I just thank you for your spirit that has filled this place this morning. I pray that you anoint Brother Will with your precious Holy Spirit. Give him the words that you would have us to hear and open our hearts. Once again, I praise you for your wonderful, beautiful, and powerful name. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen? And um, here's, what the, here's what the Bible says, that if we lift up the name of Jesus, He will draw people to Himself. And uh, that was my prayer at the altar this morning, is that as we lift up Jesus, He would draw you to Himself today. This is my third and final sermon on the subject of pray and go. Our C groups are literally doing that in our community. And uh, last week, hundreds of homes right here in the River Valley were prayed over by you, and a little door knocker was left on that house letting those people know that there's a church who loves them and cares for them, and we're praying for them. And you know why we're doing this? Because people need to know that. They need to know that they are loved by somebody, and people need the Lord. Okay, can I say that out loud? People need the Lord. We live in sinful and sorrowful times. And I believe Jesus Christ provides the answers to the cries that we have in life. Christ alone can bring your life into focus. Christ alone gives you victory. Jesus Christ alone can fill your heart with joy. And he alone conquers sin, hell, and the grave. He can replace loneliness with love and heaviness with hope. He changes lives. I'm here to tell you, church, people need the Lord. And we have been chosen to tell the good news. That is, if you're in this room and you are a born-again believer, you've given Jesus your heart and your life, Jesus has called you, and he wants to use you to be his hands, his feet, and his mouth. He has chosen us to tell the good news. Jesus told us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, you are to be my witnesses. The apostle Paul put it this way, we are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. 
And the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. The Bible says we are to be a light in a dark world and we are to be salt in a corrupt society. People need the Lord. The question is, if people need the Lord so much, why aren't we doing a better job sharing the Lord with them? One of the most convicting questions a Christian can be asked is, how many people have you won to Jesus? And as the room grows uncomfortably quiet, you know, there are a lot of explanations for our evangelistic shortcomings. But one reason is seldom mentioned. And God's been, he's been moving in my heart all week to preach this sermon to you today for this reason. Whenever we give in to temptation and whenever we allow sin to lodge in our lives, it destroys our witness. Did you get that? Sin can destroy your witness. Unconfessed sin is the cholesterol that blocks the arteries of our evangelistic heart. Sin like raw sewage contaminates our soul winning. Now, this is seen in the lives of several people perhaps that you know and several people in the Bible. One of the best illustrations is a guy by the name of King David. He illustrates this terrible truth that sin can destroy our witness. The story happened back in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It was in the springtime. It was the time of year that kings normally went with their armies to do battle. And David's army went out to do battle, but they were under the authority of the commander Joab. Why? Because David stayed at home. Instead of going out doing what he was supposed to do, he stayed somewhere he shouldn't have been. That's a whole other sermon, but you know, you, you kind of get the drift. When, when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you can get into a whole lot of trouble. And so David's army went out to do battle, and David stayed home. The Bible says one night he couldn't sleep, and, and so he went on the roof of his palace, and he was looking out at his city. And I've been there in Jerusalem, and you, literally it's on the side of a hill. You can do this. You can look out at one vantage point, and you can see people's houses and their terraces and their roofs all the way down the hillside. And David was doing that, and, and the moon was shining brightly, and there were stars in the sky, and his eyes were attracted to this one particular roof because there was a very beautiful woman who decided late in the evening that she was going to take a bath, and she did it on her rooftop. And when David saw her, the passion was ignited. He inquired who she was, and then he told a servant to go get her and bring her to his bedchambers. And as she was brought to his bedchambers, David committed adultery with this beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba. The next morning he sent her home. A few weeks later, she sent a note to King David and said, mm, I'm pregnant. Now, that is a problem on a whole other level because, number one, she wasn't his wife. Number two, she was married to another guy. His name was Uriah. They called him the Hittite. He was fighting in the battle under the command of Joab. 
And so David got to thinking, he was a pretty smart guy, I'm just going to call Uriah home, he'll take a leave of absence, he'll go home, he'll sleep with his wife, he'll think that this baby is his. And so he had Uriah to come home, he asked how the war was going and how the men were doing, and, and he gave a good report, and then David said to Uriah the Hittite, well, you've worked really hard, you've been a good soldier, go home and stay with your wife tonight. But he didn't go home. In fact, he he slept in the courtyard of the king's house with all the other servants, and and the next day it was reported to David that Uriah didn't go home, and so David inquired, Uriah, why didn't you go home? He said, how in the world can I go home and enjoy a good meal and sleep with my wife when my fellow soldiers are in battle and the ark of God is at war? I, I think Uriah had a little bit of something David lost. Maybe some integrity. Well, he got him drunk, tried to send him home. He didn't go home. Finally, David said, enough of this. And so he wrote a little note to Joab, the commander of the army, folded it up and gave it to Uriah and said, when you take this back to Joab, give him this note. Did you know what Uriah was carrying? His own death sentence. Because the little note said, Joab, When you go into battle tomorrow, put Uriah right on the front edge of the battle. And as the soldiers begin shooting arrows, you withdraw, but make sure Uriah stays there. I don't want him coming home. And sure enough, the plan worked. Not only was Uriah the Hittite killed, the Bible says also a few of his fellow soldiers perished that day. Now, this has gone from bad to worse. We not only have sin, adultery, a baby being born out of wedlock, but now we have something called murder. And David covered it all up, tighter than, for those of you who are a little older, Watergate. Here's the remarkable thing. Even after adultery, murder, and cover-up, David did not feel guilty, nor did he express remorse. His conscience had been drugged by the devil. He'd been doped by the devil. So you know what God did? The very next chapter, God sent a prophet by the name of Nathan, and he had a little conversation with King David. Now, I I love this story, One, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Nathan, the prophet, came in. David said, hey, bud, how's it going? How's the prophecy stuff going? Nathan said, oh, it's all good, but I I got a story to tell you. Something's happened in your kingdom. There, There are two men. One was rich, the other poor. The rich man had all kinds of cattle and sheep, multitudes of them. The poor man who lived across the road only had a large family and one ewe lamb. One little lamb, and he raised this lamb with his children. It stayed in his house. He fed it with his hand, and he loved this ewe lamb just like he loved his kid. Well, one day a traveler came to see the rich man, and the rich man knew he had to provide a meal for his friend, the traveler, but he did not want to take one of his own livestock, so he went across the road and took the ewe lamb of the poor man butchered it, barbecued it, and fed his friend. David got hot under the collar. You can't tell me this went on in my kingdom. Bring that man to me. He deserves death. 
He's riled up, man. And I love this story in the Old King James translation because in the Old King James at this point, Nathan looked square in the eyes of King David and said, King James language, David, thou art the man. This story is about you. You took something that did not belong to you. You have sinned against God himself. And all of a sudden, the blinders fell from David's eyes. And he saw the nightmare of his sin in all of its horror. And David became a broken man. And in his brokenness, he wrote Psalm 51. It is a psalm of repentance. This particular psalm is among the deepest and the most moving passages in all of Scripture. I'll never forget when I was in seminary, one of my professors of the Old Testament said, David, David was a great sinner. And even though David is called a man after God's own heart, David messed up. David sinned big time. But my professor went on to say, he was not only a great sinner, he was a great repenter. He knew how to fall before God and confess his sins and plead pardon with God. And that's exactly what Psalm 51 is. Can I tell you, church, look at me. In my life, I have worn Psalm 51 out. I've had to use this Psalm so many times Because you know what? I am not perfect, just like you're not perfect. And sometimes I fall into temptation and sin. And I have had to do what David did in Psalm 51. Now we're going to look at the first 13 verses, really the first 12, just so we can get to verse 13. Why? Because I'm talking about evangelism today. I'm talking about winning people to Jesus. But look at me. You can't win people to Jesus when there is unconfessed sin in your own life. Before you can be a witness and a soul winner, you've got to get your own life right with God. And that's what we see in Psalm 51. Let let me read these verses. Are you ready? I don't know. Am I just thinking that that I'm more excited about this than you are? It's good stuff, all right? So get ready to think. Here we are, verse 1, Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then, okay, we've read the first 12, here's verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. Lord, this morning as we lift Jesus up, I pray that you would draw all people to Jesus. Lord, may Psalm 51 become real to us today. And dear Lord, I pray that we put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a couple of things from the first 12 verses. And the first is we hear David crying for pardon. Remember, he sinned. Now he is aware of his sin and he's crying to God to pardon him. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercy, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Notice that David uses three different phrases to describe the adultery, the murder, and also the cover-up. First of all, he asked God to blot out his transgressions. This word transgression really means rebellion. Our hearts are rebellious by nature. You're a rebel by nature. You don't believe me? Well, just think about little kids. You don't have to teach little kids to be ornery and mean, do you? I think all of them do that except a couple of my grandchildren, but most... And you know what? We are guilty of high treason against God every time we sin. So here, David begs God to blot out his, trans, his rebellion. The word blot means to erase or remove. It, it, it's a picture of a record that is being erased. Have you ever been typing on your computer and you go do something, come back and the screen's empty? And you wonder, where did all that hard work go? It's just, it's been erased. Doesn't that make you sick at your stomach? Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's never happened to you. I told the first service, I started preaching off my iPad, I don't know, about a year ago. Devin motivated me to do this. It's good to have young people around you. They keep you on your toes. And He, he preached so eloquently from his iPad. And I thought, man, I, I need to be doing that. Really, the problem is my vision has gotten so bad. I went from a 12 font to a 20 font on my printed notes, and, and I was bringing a book up here just to read out of. So I decided to go iPad. Here's the problem, though, that I've had a few times. I'll be scrolling down through my iPad, and all of a sudden, just out of the blue, I'm looking down at an empty page. It's just white. All my words have disappeared. And the first time it happened, I, I literally, I freaked out. It was on a Wednesday night when I was just practicing this. I'm thinking, what, Devin, what happened? And he had to work me through it. it. It wasn't gone. I just pushed the wrong, put my finger on there wrong. And it, isn't it crazy? But that's what David is, is praying. Lord, Lord that, that sentence that has been written out against me, that ticket that I have received, would you please erase it, Lord? And then secondly, he asked God to wash away his iniquity. The word wash is a very powerful Hebrew word which included the idea of pounding or stamping and vigorously rubbing a garment to loosen the dirt that is embedded there. David is saying, Lord, 
pound and stomp me against the washboard of your holiness. Loosen the dirt in my life. What, what it's the picture of is them taking a, a robe or a garment that is really dirty and scrubbing it and washing it and making it clean. Again, I told the first service, as I was talking about it, it just hit me. There was a family I pastored in Pine Bluff years ago, and uh, the husband and wife had four boys, okay? And these four boys were just, I mean, they, they, were, they were four little studs. They were all athletic. They lived out on a farm, and they were into all kinds of stuff. And I mean, they were, they were just, Gary, you, you probably know who I'm talking about. Uh, the, the oldest boy, his name was Roy, and then Gigi, and then John, and then Bob. And they were, they'd go out all day and they'd play in the summertime or as they got older, they'd hunt and fish and they'd come in at the end of the day ready for supper and joy. They would be, they would be covered in filth and mud from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. And their mama, little Miss Lynn, wasn't about to let those boys come in the house like that. She was a little woman with four boys, but she was dynamite. And she would say to those boys, boys get in the bed of the truck. And they'd climb into the bed of the truck and she'd drive down the road to a car wash. <laughs> and she would make those four boys get out of the back of the truck and line them up against the wall in that stall of the car wash, put 50 cents in there and start blasting them. <laughs> to the side, to the back, to the side. Soap, then rinse, then wax. I don't know. <laughs> then they'd have to get back in the bed of the truck and, and drive home, take all their clothes off, and then, then go in the house. I can, I can remember hearing this story, and I asked the, the second oldest, Gigi, I said, Gigi, didn't, didn't that, doesn't that hurt? And he laughed. <laughs> he said, yeah, it kind of peels our skin off a little bit, but. So anyway, you can take that for what it's worth. It might be a good idea, Miss Joy. That is really what David is praying here. Lord, cleanse me like that. Remove the filth out of my life. And then thirdly, he says, cleanse me from my sin. The word cleanse was used by the Hebrews to imply the healing of a disease. When a man or a woman was cured of a terrible disease like leprosy, it was said that they were cleansed. And the word sin means to miss the mark or to miss a divinely appointed goal. And, and this is the picture of a disease that has been healed in a person's life. So here's what it comes down to, church. Are you, are you listening to me? Do you personally have a record against you that needs to be erased? Is your life like a robe that needs a deep cleaning? Do you have a disease in your soul that needs to be removed and taken away? If so, let me ask you, have you ever fallen on your face before God and prayed like David did in this passage of Scripture? God, blot out my transgression. Lord, wash away my iniquity. Jesus, I pray that you would cleanse me from all of my sin. And then he continues in verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sins are always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Read, read that last sentence with me. What does it say? Against 
A lot of people don't like that when they read this passage of Scripture. And they say, well, what about Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against Bathsheba? What about Uriah? Didn't he sin against Uriah when he had him murdered? What about those innocent soldiers who were killed in his attempt to get rid of Uriah? What about the entire nation of Israel? Did not the king sin against them? And what about David's own body? Didn't he sin against his own body? The answer is yes, 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 yes. He did sin against Bathsheba. He did sin against Uriah. He did sin against the nation. He did sin against his own body. But whose law did he break? Whose holiness did he violate? Whose commandments did he disobey? It was God's. It was God's. Sin is always ultimately against God. David sinned against God. Now the effects of that sin had a rippling effect and it destroyed a lot of people's lives. And you know what? There is another sermon we could preach. Because your sin not only affects you, your sin is going to affect other people as well. You, you don't believe me? Just go ahead and study this passage out. Because of this sin, David's home life was wrecked. His kids started battling with one another. One thing led to another. Several of them were, were killed or raped. It, it was a horrible sequence of events that took place because of David's sin. But the bottom line is, David sinned against God. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What an interesting verse. I, I can remember as a, a teenage boy, my pastor, Keith Woody, at the First Free Old Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas, he used to say all the time, we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. I mean, if he said it one time, he said it, a zillion times. And there are a few people in the church, my dad may have been one of them, when he would say that, they'd say, amen. And so I knew it was important. I knew this was an important statement. But until I got older and started studying it for myself, I, I didn't realize how important it is. We are sinners by nature and we are sinners by choice. Really, there are two levels of sinfulness about us. The first is the upper level. We are sinners because we choose to sin. Nobody is twisting your arm, making you sin. You sin because you choose to sin. So stop blaming everybody. Oh, my, it's my parents' fault that I'm this way, or it was my teacher's fault, or it's their fault. No, it's your fault. You choose to sin. But on a deeper level, we choose to sin because there is a sinful nature inside of us. And that sinful nature was inherited from Adam and Eve. We have been sinful from the time our mother conceived us. We are sinners by nature and we are sinners by choice. Have, have you ever noticed that every animal is born with a certain nature? God, God made animals and they're a certain way and they do certain things. It is the nature of puppies to be playful. It's the way puppies are. They're playful. Now, I probably ought to keep my mouth shut, but i got to tell this story because I told it first. Service. My mom and dad got a puppy not long ago. What, they, what they're doing is remembering 
years ago when, when they bought another little puppy, a little Maltese, remember Misty Dawn of Stonegate? We lived in Abilene, and they bought this little Maltese puppy from a breeder in Fort Worth, Texas. And let me tell you, Misty Dawn really was one of the cutest Maltese puppies I've ever seen. She was, she was a miniature. She was tiny. I was maybe 14 years old, and Misty Dawn could just, Dawn just sit in the palm of my hand. Even when she was an adult puppy, she could sit in tiny little thing, cute as a bug, little, little white fluff of hair everywhere. And Missy Don's been dead now for a long time, and my dad's, I don't know, he's, he's kind of getting lonely, I guess, in his older age, and he's remembering the good times that he had with Misty Don and how she had sat in his lap and, and they'd love on each other, and so they decided to get another dog. It's after we got JoJo, I think they saw how, how fun it can be to have a puppy again, and so they found another Maltese, and they bought a dog named Sassy. And can I tell you, she's, she's owning her name, Sassy. Just as playful and energetic as she can be. Dad was putting up a little temporary fence for Sassy yesterday, and I went down and helped him. And Mom, mom you know, in frustration, she said, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do with this dog that your dad had to have. <laughs> Here's what she said, and I'm not getting on to your mom. I'm just making an observation, been thinking about it all night and all day. She said, I don't remember Misty Dawn being this active. You know how puppies are. I mean, they're just playful. I, not long ago, I went down mom and dad's and knocked on the door to check on them, and dad came to the door, and he had leather gloves on. <laughs> now, this is in the middle of the day. He's in the house, been watching TV, and he's got leather gloves on. And I said, Dad, why... why? Why are you wearing your work gloves in the house? That cotton-picking dog won't stop biting my fingers. <laughs> Teeth are just like needles. And then, and then I come to find out that little sassy's ripped up mom's carpet. And the, you don't mess with my mama's carpet, all right? Sassy's off on a bad start here. So mom made the statement, I, I don't remember Misty Dawn being this active. I, Mom, I'm just being truthful with you. I think you've forgotten how active Misty Dawn was. Because you know what? It's in the nature of puppies to be playful. If you wait long enough and can endure these puppy times, they settle down and become dogs. And they will sit in your lap and they do nothing and expect you to take care of them, all right? It's their nature. But you know what? It's also the nature of lions to roar and to kill. And it is the nature of you and me to sin. It's our nature. We sin just like a snake coils. And we sin just like a rooster crows. Why? Because we are sinners by nature and by choice. David, recognizing that fact, cries out for mercy and in verses 1 through 6, he pleads for pardon. Friend, when was the last time you came before the Lord broken because of your sin, confessed your sin, and sought repentance? And like the publican in the gospel, you cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the prayer of the first six verses. And you know what? 
I'm not pointing fingers this morning, but you know if the Lord's talking to you about your own life. You know if there is some unconfessed sin that you need to deal with today. You know if you're the one who needs to come and pray verses 1 through 6 to pray for pardon. The second six verses, there is a cry for purity. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The the picture that David is painting here is the picture of the Old Testament Israelites when they were in Egypt. They had been enslaved for hundreds of years. And God sent a redeemer, Moses, who said to Pharaoh, let God's people go. And after all these plagues that God caused on the land of Egypt, Pharaoh was about ready to let them go, but he changed his mind. I'm not going to let you go. You're my slaves. And so God told Moses, okay, there's going to be one more plague I'm going to send, and it's a humdoozer. It's going to be a big one. You know what it was? The death of the firstborn. Every living creature of mankind and animal kind, every firstborn creature was going to die. The death angel was going to come over the land. So what were the Israelites to do? God gave them specific instructions. It's the starting of Passover. He said, I want you to take an unblemished lamb, a perfect lamb, and sacrifice that lamb for your family. Fill a basin with the blood from the lamb and then boil the lamb and and eat it all. But you take that blood that's in a basin and you take a hyssop plant. Now, I, 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 I don't have any hyssop plants. We don't have any hyssop plants. In. See, I don't know anything about plants, but we don't, we don't have hyssop plants. But you know what? They, the part of the hyssop plant can, can look like a paintbrush. I guess fibers coming out of it or, I don't know, stems. Anybody know about a hyssop plant? See, I could just say anything and you'd believe me right here because <laughs> you've never seen one either. But he, he said, you take a hyssop plant and you dip that hyssop plant in the blood And then with the hyssop plant, I want you to spread the blood on the doorpost of your house. So that hyssop plant literally became a paintbrush. And they painted the door frames of their house. Then they went inside and they ate that boiled lamb. And during the night, the death angel came. And it killed the firstborn of every living creature in the land of Egypt except for those who had the blood over their doorpost. You know what that's a picture of? David is drawing a picture right here saying, this is what I need in my life, but that is a picture of what Jesus did. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God, spotless and without blemish. And what did Jesus do? He died on an old rugged cross for you. The Bible is very specific, talking about the blood of Jesus. It flowed out of his hands and feet and side down onto earth. His blood is the only thing that can take away your sins. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that is exactly what David meant when he said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. It refers to the cleansing of the blood. And the Bible again tells us throughout its context that the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can cleanse you of your sins. 
So my friend, here's, here's an important doctrine, something you need to understand. If you want to be made right with God and have your sins forgiven and be able to go to heaven when you die, you have to have the blood of Jesus applied to your life. The only thing that can take away your sins is the blood of Jesus. So my question is, has he cleansed you? Has his blood cleansed you? David continues in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear the joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Quick time out. Did, did you know that, that if you're a Christian and you've allowed sin into your life, you're going to become very uncomfortable? Maybe to the point that you ache and you hurt. It's because the Holy Spirit is working in your life, calling you to repentance. There's an aching in your heart. David says, it's, it's, it's like my bones have been broken. Lord, restore that. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, it isn't enough just to be pardoned you need to be purified. It isn't enough just to have your sins forgiven. We need righteousness bestowed in our life. We need to be made Christ-like. We need God to make us holy as Jesus is holy. That's why David prayed, create in me a pure heart, O God. That's the cry of the Christian. Every day you need to be crying that thing, God created me a clean heart. God, renew a right spirit within me. Then he goes on to say this in verse 11. Do not cast me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I think it's really interesting that that David say that because in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit did not come to live in every believer as he does in the New Testament. I've, I've referred to this numerous times in my preaching. When you're saved and born again, invite Jesus into your heart, Not only does the blood of Jesus cleanse you from your sins, but but God gives you all of these gifts. And one of the gifts that you receive is the gift of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you and abides with you and lives with you. It, it, It wasn't like that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain men at certain times for certain tasks. And and I'm sure that David is thinking of his predecessor, King Saul. He knew that King Saul had the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says that, that the Spirit of God came upon Saul, anointed Saul. He was God's anointed one. But what did Saul do? He rebelled against God. He sinned against God. He was not willing to repent. So the Bible specifically says God took the Holy Spirit away from Saul. And I think David now realized, I've sinned. I've sinned just like Saul sinned. Lord, help me not to end up like Saul. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me as it was taken from Saul. So he prays in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. So if you're a Christian here today and there's not just this abundance of joy in your life, 
There's a difference between joy and, and giddiness and being happy all the time. If you don't have this joy in your life and you're a Christian, there's a reason why. You're, you're out of fellowship with God. And, and David is crying, Lord, I, I miss that joy that comes from being a child of God. Restore that joy to me. You, you know what? There are some people in this room whose lives are so jammed up with unconfessed sin that you can't experience that joy. What you need to do is to have the kind of broken humility that David did. You need pardon and purity in your life. You need to come to the altar and pray Psalm 51 with all of your heart. And what happens if you do that? What happens if you confess and God forgives? Well, the result is going to be a return to evangelism. I'm almost done with this sermon, but I've preached this whole sermon just to get to verse 13. What does it say? Then, after we've gotten things right, Lord, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. You see, when our souls are clean, and we become holy men and women open to God, yielded vessels for Jesus Christ. When we become pardoned and purified, we shall be filled with the Spirit of God and we will be thrilled with our Savior Jesus Christ. We'll be so excited about what God has done in us and through us and for us that we won't be able to keep our mouths shut about telling other people about Jesus Christ. We will be so full of hope that we become contagious. We'll be burdened for lost people and souls will be saved. So, so maybe one of the reasons we have not done as good of a job telling other people about Jesus is because we haven't gotten our own hearts right. David said, once my heart was right with God, then, then I could go out and teach transgressors. Then I could go out and witness to others and their lives would be changed. Let me finish with a story that I read a few years ago. True story of a young lady. She, she had been praying for a job, needing a job, and so she asked her small church to pray with her and pastor to pray with her, and, and all of a sudden God opened this door, and she got a job in this call center. Okay? It, was a, it, it was a big open room, about half the size of this sanctuary, and 200 other people worked in this call center, so she was in the midst of 200 other people. Most of them were ladies, but there were a few men who worked there as well. Eight hours a day, she was in this room with all these other people working. And About a week after she got this job, she went to a friend of hers in church and said, you know, I think I'm going to have to quit my new job. <laughs> friend was a little alarmed. Well, we... We prayed that you would get this job. Why would you be quitting the job just a week after getting the job? And, and here's what she said. Well, it's just hard to go to work there. I mean, I'm the only Christian. Out of 200 people, I'm, I'm the only Christian. And, and, and these people, they, they talk filthy. Their, their language is awful. Most are women, there's a few guys that work there, but all they talk about during the day is, is how they're going to get wasted that night and how they're going to party that night. And the next morning, all they talk about is the person that they slept with the night before. And, and the language is, is, is horrible. 
And, and, and none of them like me. They, they all make fun of me because I'm a Christian and I don't go the places they go and I don't talk the way they talk and I don't do the things they do. And, and it's just so heavy and it's such a burden and, and I don't like it. So I think I'm going to quit. Her friend paused for a long time and then said, you know, th- those may be the very reasons God put you there. God looked over this city searching for a Christian whom he could place in the middle of 200 lost sinners, and he chose you. So let me be the first to congratulate you. And I know you're not going to let him down. And then she finished by saying, you know, you may be the only witness those people ever see or hear. Well, the Holy Spirit started working on her heart, and she went home, and she started praying in a different kind of way. She said, Lord, if, if this is really the case, would you, please, would you please give me the courage to go back tomorrow and to face them with a different spirit, a different countenance? And then she started praying for the, the girls, the ladies that worked right around her desk, and she lifted them up to the Lord. And that morning before she went to work, she said, Lord, I pray that I would display the joy of the Lord in my face. And, and I pray, dear Lord, that you would give me an opportunity to be a good witness for you and, and tell these girls about you. And an amazing thing happened. There was a kind of little transformation that took place. Those, those, those other people really discovered she was, she was the real deal. She was rock solid. When their worlds would be falling apart and even her world falling apart, she wouldn't fall apart. And she did. She had a different look on her face. There was a different, there was a different voice that she spoke compared to the rest of those in that room. And, and so for a year, she witnessed to them and she prayed for them. And at the end of the first year, guess what? Three other girls got saved in that office. Five girls were coming to church with her. And there was a whole bunch of them who were under conviction. Why? Because she was letting her light shine. Guys, let me tell you, God has chosen you in this dark world to be a light for him. God wants you to be his hands, his feet, his voice. And you can't be the voice of Jesus when your life is tangled up in sin. So the first thing that we need to do this morning, every one of us, we need to confess our sins. Unconfessed sin is wrecking your witness. There there are people who may be lost forever because you can't keep your Christian life in good enough shape to help them. So would you make Psalm 51 your prayer? Just come to the, you don't, I mean, you can bring your Bible down here and just read Psalm 51 to the Lord. Or or you can just come and pray from your heart and say, Lord, I'm, Man, there's, there's, there's something in my life that shouldn't be there, and I've, I've let it go on way too long. So forgive me, Lord, set me free. And as you're praying that prayer, why don't you go ahead and pray for, for the people that God has brought into your life that, that need the Lord. 
I've told you this before. Every day, there, there's a handful of people that I, that I specifically pray for. I call them out by name and ask God to convict them. Lord, today, send someone in their life to convict them. Some of these people don't live around here. They're, they're family members of my, mine that, that live elsewhere. But you know what? I'm interceding for them. I'm praying for them. But I'm also asking God, Lord, you give me opportunities to witness to them. And that starts here today for you as you get your life right with God and ask God to give you someone to tell them about Jesus. Heavenly Father, would you help us do that this morning? Help us, dear Lord, to have our sins forgiven, our lives cleansed. Lord, I pray that you would do a deep purge and a deep clean in our own hearts so that we can then reflect the love and the hope and the forgiveness of Jesus. Dear Jesus, we all have people in our life that we love who are lost without hope, and I pray that today, dear Lord, we would start interceding for them and praying for them. Lord, there are others in this room who just have burdens. Their life is consumed with problems, and they need to come and talk to you about those things today. I pray that they would come. Some of us in this room just need to come and say, thank you, Lord, because you've been so good to us. Whatever the call is, may we respond to it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? The team is going to sing as they sing, altars are open. Come and use them right now. Would you just step out, come, pray. God's waiting on you. Come on. come and pray come on don't miss this opportunity come right now and pray
Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I pray, dear Lord, that each one of us in this room would be made right with you. Help us to make that our life goal and ambition, to be right with God. And for those who need to pray for forgiveness and cleansing, may they do it before this day ends. Dear Jesus, I love you so much. I love this church and I love our people. Help us, dear Lord, to to be a witness for you in all that we do and say. Help us to become your hands, your feet, and your mouth. Thank you, Jesus, for this day in your house. Use us in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Man, thanks for being here today. Wow. Been a good day. I'm going to invite you to come back next Sunday. Does anybody know what next Sunday is? What? What? Is it really Mother's Day? I wrote it down, Mother's Day. And then I wrote this. I wrote E-M-A-G, E-M-A-G, E-M-A-G. You know what that stands for? Every mother a gift. Because if you're here next Sunday and you're a mama, guess what? You get a gift. And it's, it's a great gift. I can tell you that. It's going to be awesome. And then we're going to give some really big special gifts to a, a mom in the 9 o'clock service and a mom in the 1030 service. You know, so to, to increase your odds, I guess you could come to both. No, I won't, I won't go there. And uh, forget that. Hey, uh, when you walk out the door, make sure you put your offering in one of those black boxes. Our C groups, this is the last meeting for C groups. We're going to do pray and go. Literally, hundreds, hundreds of homes have been prayed for by Kavanaugh people. Thank you for doing that. And, And let's make tonight and this week count as we go back out and pray for people and lift them up to the Lord. You don't want to miss Wednesday night because our kids are going to be in charge of the service, all right? Brother Johnny's going to have all the little kids out here. There's going to be a kid's choir, and that's always fun to watch and hear. And then uh, I I heard through the grapevine that little Billy is going to be here and going to do a lesson for the kids and the parents. So Wednesday night, uh, little kids and adults are going to be in here. On May the 21st, we have graduation Sunday. And again, that's just a couple of weeks away. So if you are a high school or college graduate, uh, we want to recognize you. You need to sign up on the iPad that's in the lobby to let us know of your graduation. And then a new ministry, Way to Recovery. That's going to start tonight at 6.30. It's going to be in the uh, conference room in our office area. So show up for that. It's going to be an awesome event Monday at 1 o'clock, Naomi's friends are meeting at Miss Eunice's for lunch and fellowship. One last thing, uh, we've got a couple that attend our first service, uh, James and Cherie Persifield. Their house caught on fire Friday night into Saturday morning, did, did a lot of damage to the home. Um, Cherie had to go to the hospital because she had smoke inhalation, but she's doing fine. They were both at our first service this morning. But they, the, the loss was great. They, they have not asked for anything, but Lord put a burden on my heart. And so Wednesday night, we're going to take up a love offering for them, okay? And so would you pray between now and Wednesday what the Lord would have you to do to, to help this family out? They are good people. They work hard here at Kavanaugh Church, and they have been devastated. Uh, 
pray for them emotionally and spiritually as they go through this difficult time. And then Wednesday night after the kids give us a, a great uh, service, we'll just have a love offering for them, okay? Hope, hope you have a great, awesome day. Please stay out of trouble. Get out of here.